0: Over the past few months, I've been traveling around the country teaching the Leo 1 Showcase course, Advanced Search and Seizure Law. I've been to Winter Haven, Florida, was out there in Tupelo, Mississippi, not too long ago. Last week, I was in Beckley, West Virginia. A shout out to the folks out there, a great group of folks in a beautiful part of the country. Before that, I was in Alexandria, Virginia. But one of the hot topics when I'm doing this course, Advanced Search and Seizure Law, one of the hot topics is always about Terry Frisk. You know, when can I do a terry frisk and what can I frisk? Can I frisk a bag? Can I frisk a box? Can I frisk a car? In the case I'm going to discuss this week, the Seventh Circuit held that it is okay to frisk an outer screen door. Interesting, huh? Well, stick around. Welcome back to Broadcast Blue. <laughs> Bringing you the latest case law updates on the legal aspects of law enforcement. This is Broadcast Blue. I'm calling this case the case of the screen door sweep. And this case comes to us. uh, The case name is United States versus Richmond. Uh, Comes from the Seventh Circuit. The date of the decision is the 13th of May of 2019, so it hasn't been a week since this uh, case came out. You're hearing about it first here on Broadcast Blue as we try and keep you up on the latest and greatest in the legal aspects of law enforcement. Let me tell you about the facts in this case a little bit, United States versus Richmond. Around midnight Back in October of 2016, two officers in a marked patrol car were driving uh, in the Capitol Street Corridor section of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. This is a high crime area known for drugs and armed robberies and gun violence. As they drove through an intersection, they saw the defendant, in this case Richmond, walking towards their direction on the sidewalk. He had his right hand in what the court describes as a kangaroo pocket on the front of his T-shirt. And as they drove past, one officer saw a big bulge in the pocket consistent um, with a handgun. And Richmond made eye contact briefly with this officer. The officers then changed direction. They did a quick U-turn. And uh, and went back to have a conversation with Richmond. And at this point, Richmond quickly walked up to a duplex. The officers didn't know it, but that's actually where Richmond resides. The officers, uh, they like I said, they did a U turn. They get out of the car to go talk to him. And as they did, Richmond went up the five stairs to the little front porch area of this duplex. He then, he opens the door, the outer screen door. There's an outer screen door and then the the inner hard door. And he opens this outer screen door with his left hand and with his right hand, he places an object between the screen door um, and the front door, places it down at the bottom of the sill there. Now, the officers can't see exactly what the object is, but given the size of it, of, of it and what had happened, they suspected uh, that it was a gun. So the officer's they, they go up these five stairs. They go up towards the porch. One officer asked Richmond uh, some questions. What are you doing? Did you hear a shot? Um, have Are you carrying a weapon? And and while he was doing this, the other officer walked around, and he, he tried to see what it was. But the bottom of the screen door, like a lot of screen doors that have the kick panels on them, The bottom of the screen door has this panel, it's opaque, and the officer can't see what's down there at the the, the doorstep between the outer screen door and the inner hard door, and so he he cracks the screen door open just enough so he can see what's in there, um, and he he sees a gun. He didn't know it was a gun until he cracked that door open, and so they ask Richmond uh, if he's a convicted felon. He confirms that he is at that point, Richmond is arrested for being a felon in possession of a firearm. Now, this entire encounter lasts only 30 seconds. It's taken me longer to describe it to you than the actual time that it transpired. Richmond is charged with being a felon in possession of a firearm, and you know what the defense attorney is going to do. They use that defense F word. That's not fair. Um, try and get that firearm thrown out, uh, get the evidence thrown out, get it excluded under the exclusionary rule by arguing that the law enforcement officers in this particular situation violated uh, Richmond's Fourth Amendment rights. So you know you pretty much knew that was going to happen because the whole the whole arrest and the whole uh, indictment and the uh, charges are based on that that firearm. Without that firearm there is no case and so it's it's key and uh, you would certainly expect the, them to do their job and file that motion which they did. Now the down at the district court level the district court ruled that um, inciting Terry versus Ohio that they had the officers had a reasonable suspicion that he was involved in uh, this criminal activity doing something unlawful as he walked down the street and headed towards that porch and that's the that's the essence of a Terry stop under uh, the Terry versus Ohio Terry stop, judicially recognized exception, or what I refer to as JREs. Now, that case from back in Halloween day of 1963, Terry versus Ohio, gave us two judicially recognized exceptions. One is a warrantless search, and the other is a warrantless seizure. Now, the warrantless seizure is the Terry stop with that reasonable suspicion that someone's involved in criminal activity, and that's what the court referred to here. But also, from Terry versus Ohio, we got the Terry frisk with that reasonable suspicion that. Some Someone is presently armed and dangerous, and so the court noted, um, lastly, that uh, that Terry was extended uh, to uh, allow for Terry for us not just of people, uh, but also um, objects or areas that are within the the immediate area of the suspect's control. And the court, the district court, held that this looking uh, behind the screen door, looking cracking the door open just a little bit to see what was in there was justified as a narrowly confined um, place to look um, just where they had a reasonable belief that he could uh, obtain a weapon during this encounter. So that's what the district court held and it's going to go up on appeal. It does go up on appeal to the Seventh Circuit and the Seventh Circuit has a really good analysis in this case and the the case itself is 30 pages long and you can download a copy from the uh, the Cases blog post for this case on the LEA One website at www.lea.one if you want to read the whole thing and I recommend that you do because uh, as I'm going to discuss in a few minutes there's a really good dissenting opinion in here but the court talks about this reasonable suspicion of unlawful activity in their analysis and their discussion um, and they talk about whether it's permissible to have a Terry stop in this area and the court noted in their previous decisions and some of their previous decisions and one of them specifically United States versus Pace which was the Seventh Circuit decision from back in 1990 that they've applied Terry to allow for a Terry stop of someone in an area that's attendant to a house and in the Pace case itself it was in the condominium garage of the uh, of the the defendant. The whole concept of the Terry stop, they first went through this concept of the Terry stop, and then the court concluded that the sum of all the information known to the officers at the time... Uh, given all of that, uh, that they had a reasonable suspicion that he was involved in criminal activity or that criminal activity was afoot. So the first issue was whether or not there you know, was a Terry stop and whether it was lawful for them to approach him up there. Then they went on to address the search itself. And that's the, that's the meat and potatoes of this whole decision is whether or not um, opening that outer screen door was a violation of the Fourth Amendment. Is that permissible um, under a Terry frisk, and that becomes the the key part of the, the whole case, really. If you if you think about it, in fact, the court noted that uh, on appeal, the defendant in this case conceded that the encounter that was taking place on the front doorstep or on that porch was a consensual encounter. So it almost negates the whole. The whole issue um, when they, they kind of concede that it was a consensual encounter that they were having at the top of the, the stairs on that, that small porch outside of the duplex, then it uh, kind of becomes a moot point a little bit as to whether or not there was a valid Terry stop them when you do that. And the court noted that there doesn't have to be, the court said there doesn't have to be a Terry stop to have a Terry frisk. And they're, they're saying, hey, look, you can have a situation where you're having a consensual encounter. And go um, straight, uh, straight to the Terry Frisk. And so, this the whole the second analysis that they're going to make is going to be the key part of their decision, and indeed the most significant part of this podcast today. And so, let's look at that, and let's talk about what happened, and, and look at some cases that might be applicable. The the argument that the defendant made on, on the appellant on appeal, the argument that was made, and they they cited Jardine's, uh, the defense did, and they also cited uh, the recent case Collins versus Virginia, um, for the proposition that the Terry frisk couldn't extend to a search of the cartilage because clearly, you know, opening that uh, that outer door, um, opening one of the doors to the the inside of the dwelling to itself, even though they were already standing there with uh, in a consensual encounter on the front porch that uh, that constituted a violation of the Fourth Amendment, and that's a really that's it's, it's a really important point. And the and the court goes through an analysis, and they look at these cases, and they and first of all, they distinguish both Jardine's and Collins, both those cases. You might recall Jardine's was the case back in 2013, a year after the Jones decision. It applied that Jones definition of a search, the physical intrusion into the person's houses, papers, or effects uh, that we got from the United States Supreme Court decision um, back in January of 2012, that Jones decision, it, it was extended and it was applied to a dwelling in the Jardines case where they took Frankie. That a uh, chocolate Labrador Retriever from down there in Miami Dade took him up to that front door and he and he sniffed at the door and alerted the door and then the court held that the knock and talk exception that limited license that would have permitted the officers to be there in the curtilage did not extend to a dog sniff and the the, the defendant in this case argued that the limited license to have a consensual encounter didn't extend to the officer opening the door so drawing an analogy. Um, whether you know whether or not this this applies at that particular point. So the court said that there was a huge difference between the this case and the Jardine's case and that there was no, uh, there was no reasonable, uh, reasonable belief that there was some type of safety issue. In other words, there wasn't a need to terry frisk anyone in the Jardine's decision. And likewise, in the uh, Collins versus Virginia case, the one that just came out last year from the United States Supreme Court, you might recall, the United States Supreme Court said, look, the automobile exception does not allow you into the cartilage in order to uh, exercise that exception and the defendant pointed that out um, on appeal here to the 7th circuit but they noted that like with jardines and the collins decision there wasn't a um, there wasn't a concern for uh, the the officer's safety as a result of the presence of a firearm in that immediate area and so again they distinguished it even though the court made it clear that you didn't get in the automobile exception didn't get you into the curtilage in order to exercise the automobile exception that that didn't that wasn't the situation here with the the person on the front doorstep so that's a you know that's, and that's a, a fascinating argument a fascinating thing to think about um but um the court distinguished both those cases both jardine's as well as the collins case and and the court uh, basically held that once they were there on the front porch and they did have these articulable facts to give them this reasonable suspicion that there was a firearm there and they were having this encounter with this person and that they it was lawful for them to to open the door in the way that they did just to, to crack it open and to look in there for the firearm since they were having um, this encounter with this person on the, the doorstep so basically what the court is saying is is that it will the Terry frisk will be applicable within the curtilage, which is uh, kind of interesting. It's, I guess as long as your as long as your presence in the curtilage is lawful, and whether or not it was the presence was lawful under a Terry frisk, or whether it was under consent, and it the, the, they kind of changed their arguments between the district court level and the circuit court level, um, but either way that uh, that it was okay as long as they're law they were lawfully present where they were present if they're lawfully present within the curtilage and there's an area in the curtilage um, that is would otherwise be subject to a Terry frisk, uh, then it's going to be okay. Um, and so that's an interesting, uh, that's a really interesting decision. And we've got a, a, I've got a court now. We've got the Seventh Circuit telling us that it's okay to Terry frisk this area of the front porch. Now the court, um, they, they, there were some analogies. You might imagine that there would be an analogy drawn to the Maryland versus Bowie decision, which is where you get to do the protective sweep of a residence when you're arresting someone in the residence and um although the facts that lead to that are a little bit different the court noted that in the in the case that created the recognized formally the protective suite maryland v Bowie, that the court there was keen on um applying this whole concept of terry so terry the terry case has this um has this overarching concept about the protecting police officers while they're having these encounters these uh these encounters with people in order to conduct these criminal investigative matters, and and the court um, apparently had no problem applying that to the cartilage of the home as well. Now, I, I want to point out that this case, uh, like I said, is a thirty-page decision, and one of the reasons it was thirty pages is because it was a two-one, it was a two-one split. There was. A dissenting opinion. There is a dissenting opinion in this case. the The case was heard before the the three judge panel of the Seventh Circuit included Chief Just uh, or Chief Judge Wood, and also uh, judges Circuit Judges Easterbrook and Brennan. Now, now Judge Brennan wrote the decision, and Judge Easterbrook joined, but um, Chief Judge Wood wrote a separate opinion. And, and and reading through the dissenting opinion, where he dissented and said, "Look." You didn't. Uh, Terry hadn't been applied this way, and the the the, the chief judge said the, the question of the case is whether the police are entitled to enter, search, and seize an object from a person's home, including the curtilage, when they don't have a warrant and they don't have probable cause. And none of the exceptions to the warrant requirement, like exigent circumstances, are present, and which is basically what the majority in this case has said that you could do. That now they're extending the Terry frisk, they're allowing the Terry frisk to allow for the search of the dwelling. Now you might recall um, Justice Kagan and her comments um, during the during the oral arguments of the Collins versus Virginia case, where that motorcycle. Parked in the the, the driveway, I'm talking um, Justice Kagan of the Supreme Court, talking about this how sacrosanct a person's dwelling is, and the house has often been called the chief among equals of the protected areas. By the Fourth Amendment, and we've heard that over and over and repeatedly, um, you know, gosh, ever since uh, the Weeks decision, anyway. So it's been more than a hundred years. Uh, the, the courts are keen on them, protecting uh, the, the the interest that people have in their home and the the, the sacrosanct treatment of the dwelling. So, uh, the court here in the dissenting opinion, the court noted that and said, look, they they didn't have um, they didn't have. Any reason to believe he was involved in criminal activity to begin with, and they're having a consensual encounter on the front porch, and there's nothing about the Terry frisk um, that would extend to give you the ability with a Terry frisk, uh, the Terry frisk rationale alone and nothing else would give you the ability to to search uh, a dwelling and to open that outer door and look between the doors, and so there was a, a disagreement here, and it was a two-one a 2-1 split. Now, this case just came out. Uh, at the time I'm creating this uh, this broadcast here, it hasn't even been a week since this decision's come out. There might be a rehearing in bank on this one. Um, it might get appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court. Who knows? Um, we need to keep an eye on it. But as for now, the rule of law, um, at least in the Seventh Circuit, is that if you are in an area uh, like that, under these facts uh, and circumstances, you're in a front porch area, and you have the ability to, to tarry for someone on the front porch. If you've got some type of reason to suspect there's something between the outer door and the inner door you can open and open it and look now the court was keen on noting that this would not have permitted the officers to open the inner door so if he had opened the outer door and placed something in the house and then shut the outer door um, the court says their decision would have been different that it would not have allowed they could not have opened the inner door and terry frist inside the house which kind of begs the question will you know haven't we made this clear? Didn't, uh, didn't the court make that clear in Collins versus Virginia that the cartilage is treated the same, um, as Justice Kagan said, the same as if you're inside someone's living room, right? The, if you're in the cartilage, it's the same as being in the house. And so at the very end of the decision, it got a little confusing. The court seemed to suggest that it, because it was just the outer screen door that it was okay. It, um, and so this case might be very, very limited on its facts. I don't know that you're going to have broad applicability about being able to otherwise go into areas. They, They basically treated the area between the outer door and the inner door as if it was a container a backpack or a a container um, and allowed for the terry frisk of that container if you will even though the container was made up of uh, an area between two doors so it's an interesting case might be very limited on its facts but um, it's, it's, it's interesting nonetheless and so there you have it the terry frisk of a screen door on the front of a duplex there in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I want to th- thank you for taking the time to listen uh, to me today. And and if you've got, we're, we're now scheduling at LEA 1, uh, we're scheduling the advanced search and seizure law courses for the next fiscal year, for fiscal year 2020. And so if you uh, want to have the, the LEA 1 LEA One come out and put on, it's an eight-hour, uh, it's an eight-hour full day, and it's, uh, it's action-packed. There's a lot going on in that full day. Uh, this advanced search and seizure law course, which is our showcase course, uh, get in touch with us. You can send an email, uh, you can notify us, you can uh, contact us through the website at lea.one, www.lea1. Our name is our website address. Or you can sh- uh, shoot an email to comms, comms, at lea.agency. Shoot us an email if you're interested in uh, having uh, Lea 1 come out and put on the, that advanced. Uh, search and seizure law course next week we are in fort myers florida for the lee county sheriff's department putting on a a a sold out course for advanced search and seizure law and we've got a couple of courses coming up in maine headed to maine up in june and july and we're going to be on the road up in maine doing advanced search and seizure law and so if you got any interest at all uh please let us know we'd be happy to uh to schedule a session for your law enforcement officers, uh, no matter where you're at in the country. Thank you so much for what you do. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. And I'll catch you again next episode of Broadcast Blue. This presentation is provided for purely academic purposes. I'm fond of saying I'm a lawyer, but I'm not your lawyer. And what I mean by that is that I do not provide formal legal advice through these presentations. No part of this presentation is offered, nor should it be construed as legal advice. If you need formal legal advice regarding any part of this presentation or have legal questions, you should consult with your attorney.